I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So we're back with another episode of Hashtag Hope Dealer. And today it is me and Alan Fish. Say hi, Alan. Hello. So Alan is the founder of uh, New Beginning Sanctuary, which is recovery residences here in Springfield and now Joplin. Joplin and getting ready to have Kansas City probably in about a month. So how many houses do you have right now? Uh, right now we've got 19 homes between Springfield and Joplin. Okay. And you had the first uh, NAR accredited housing in Springfield. Yes. In Southwest Missouri, actually, right? Uh, we were one of the first in Southwest Missouri. Yes, we were, I believe, the second set of homes to get accredited i believe jeff city uh house of hope homes new beginnings there uh got their accreditation first they were the guinea pig and then we were second like in the state in the state i believe yes. okay because i was gonna say i consider jeff city to be kind of central so yeah so first in southwest and yes, first we in were definitely first in southwest okay. first in springfield uh we were the only ones in springfield for quite a long time up until about a few months ago i think uh Straight Street, uh, John Allred's program, Freedom City, um, uh, just got their certification, and they're now NAR certified. Okay. So what exactly is NAR certification? So to kind of break it down for the people listening. So National Alliance of Recovery Residents sets standards for housing and has been adopted to be kind of a nationwide standard for uh, housing. Um, basically to make sure that homes are safe, that they are... Um, doing what they say they're going to be doing, they're held accountable, they are good neighbors, they uh, provide programming, they help people, uh, not just trying to be, um, for lack of a better word, slumlords, uh, and just putting 10 people in a bunk bed and or 20 people in a house and uh, collecting income from it. So That's not legit? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of frowned upon. Or it doesn't work, let's put it that way. It, not for very long. And before you know it, a lot of times you end up having a dope house. So um, NAR came about uh, in the state of Missouri because we wanted to uh, have an accreditation process. Uh, prior to that, DMH, uh, Department of Mental Health, was having uh, HUD certify homes um, and it was a very laborious process so they wanted to have some sort of a standard that was accepted nationwide so Missouri Coalition of Recovery Support Providers pursued uh, NAR and became the NAR affiliate here in the state. Uh, there are NAR certified uh, programs all across the country some state all in different stages some uh, states are just starting the process some have had it for a very long time I was uh, um, on the board, on the committee that um, uh, started it here in Missouri and brought the NAR certification and the NAR standards to Missouri so that it was a way to hold housing accountable and provide a safe and, and uh, uh, environment for people to live in. 
Good. So now just anybody can start up a recovery house, right? Because it's a simple process. No, everybody can start up a recovery house. Not everybody can do it, do it well. Um, it, you know, starting up a recovery house is not that difficult. It's uh, open a house and put 10 buddies in it. Uh, the, the difficulty comes in, in holding the standards, making sure that people are held accountable, not let it, you know, rules, p- having, uh, equal, uh, 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 rules in place for everybody. Um, and then sustaining it, growing it, uh, getting people to pay their, their program fees. And it's the work part is the hard part. Opening is the easiest part. <laughs> it's kind of like recovery. Stopping is yes, easy, but exactly. staying quit. Staying quit is right. the hard part. That's correct. So that can be difficult. Um, so what I have always kind of respected about you is the fact that, that you have rec- your own recovery houses, and yet you're on the team that goes in, you and some of your uh, employees, some of your house managers and people to help you run uh, New Beginnings, actually go in and do inspections. And I mean, I've seen you work with several people and help them open up housing. Aren't you afraid that that's going to hit your, you know, hit you? Because obviously uh, there's not enough people to go around (laughs) what always cracks me up is the people's the competition thing if you're doing it correctly and you are running reputable housing there is not enough people doing it and there is no competition there are millions and millions of clients unfortunately uh and the need is always there so i don't see it as competition if you're running reputable housing and you are doing all the things that you need to do in order to be able to help people, uh, I am more than happy to come out and do, share. Uh, we've started many programs. You know, I started because uh, uh, CORE, uh, which at the time was Church Army, uh, I happened to be friends with somebody, and, uh, you know, I ended up getting started and inspired by them. So I have no problem with people starting additional housing as long as it's being done right and run right. I don't think it's a competition. I think that there is more than enough clients to go around. Um, Having said that, I think there are ways that you can work together in the community or you can work against one another in the community. And if somebody is trying to... um, hire away our house managers or steal clients or things like that. Uh, obviously, they're probably not running an ethical practice or an ethical housing program anyway. Uh, so those are the people I choose not to work with. But most of the providers here understand there's more than enough uh, resources and enough clients to go around. And they don't have a problem with with working with, with us and vice versa. Um, there's several different programs that I get on the phone with and say, hey, you know, this person was kicked out of your home. What's going on? Uh, because, you know, there's three sides to every story. And I always get the side from them and uh, we always try and make it right. So if a client, I, I feel if a client leaves another program and it's just program hopping to escape balances, um, you know, before we let them into our program or as they're in our program, part of the program for them is to pay the other balances off. Uh, if you committed to do something, you need to follow through and do it. That's the hardest part of recovery. Um, you committed to do something, now follow through with it. And, and that seems like a skill that a lot of people that are in recovery have the hardest time with. So you said if somebody is running a reputable place and doing it right, 
you know, as somebody who goes in and does NAR inspections and some of those things, how does somebody find, like, uh, say it's a family member or uh, somebody uh, that's in early recovery and they're looking for a place, how do they kind of separate the wheat from the chaff? I think the very first thing you need to do is look for NAR certification. Uh, if a, an organization is willing to get NAR certified, then they are willing to open up their doors and open up their books and say, hey, this is how we do it, and anybody's welcome. So that's the first step. Um, there are plenty of organizations that I know that are faith-based that uh, can't get NAR certified or choose not to get NAR certified because they may not accept multiple pathways to recovery. And I understand that. Um, not everybody is medically assisted treatment friendly. Um, so I get that and they don't want to jump through some of the hoops in order to get the NAR certification because there's no funding for it if they're not medically assisted treatment. Um, so that's the first thing I would look at is the NAR certification. The second thing is do your homework. Um, research the, 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 the organization. Uh, see how many people you know, are there complaints about them? Um, check with other providers. You know, I, I, people are always welcome to call me and I can let you know, uh, you know, this program is, this is what I understand about it. And, uh, you know, just doing your research. Ultimately, it's where the person is going to feel comfortable. You know, we joke, uh, Mark McNally runs Victory Mission. Uh, the, the, uh, he's the chaplain there over the men's and women's program and he and I are good friends and we joke about, uh, you know, program hopping, but really it's just turning the dial is what he calls it. Everybody wants to turn the dial just a little bit. So if somebody comes into our program, hopefully if they leave, we were able to turn the dial just a little bit and until finally they get it and it clicks and wherever the program is that worked for them, that's great. And hopefully it clicks eventually. Um, so there's a lot of good programs. Most of them are faith-based. Uh, I think locally. doing your home locally, yes. Uh, doing your homework, uh, seeing who probation and parole recommends. He see who some of the treatment providers recommend. Those are the places that hey they've worked with. They have success. Do good. Uh, have good communication with them. Are open about their practices. That that's what you want to see. So when you talk about NAR. Um, when I think about NAR, uh, some of the things that I like about NAR is some of their standards. Like, I mean, there's basic safety standards. Like, there's no exposed wires. You know, it's in good repair instead of, like you said, being something a slumlord might rent out because ha 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 ha. Nobody's right. gonna give. You, nobody's gonna rent you a place, so you have to live here. But there isn't there also like some square footage requirements. Like, you can't just cram a bunch of people no. to have. No, and you know when we were uh, coming up. So when we started NAR in Missouri, and I say we because I was on the committee to help uh, come up with the standards that Missouri was going to adopt uh, from the NAR standards. Um, we went back and forth on a lot of things, bunk beds, for example. You know. Um, uh, like you said, uh, square footage space. There are some houses that are a little bit smaller, but they do great work. There's some homes that are bigger, but you know the the people are are not doing so well there. So um, there is a square footage requirement. However, as an inspector, it's kind of a common sense rule. You know, if it looks like the place is just trying to cram bodies in then it's not going to pass NAR certification. If somebody's a little bit short on the square footage in one room, maybe a little bit bigger in another room, but they're running a legitimate program, and 
you can tell when you go to the homes you can tell if it's a legitimate program or not pretty quickly um if it's a legitimate program they're really running program not just uh, a house and they are not trying to cram people in you you can see it so yes we do have minimum square footage requirements we do have safety requirements but um we also want to accredit as many houses and reputable programs as possible. So there are some things that we can work with, for example, bunk beds or square footage, if it's being made up elsewhere. So another thing that I like about the program that you have, so you have 19 houses. We have 19 homes. And on the square footage part, by the way, interestingly enough, our smaller homes, the success rates seem to be a little bit higher than on the bigger homes with more space. And what we have figured out is that the smaller homes, even though they're square footage-wise, they might be similar, a couple hundred square feet less, the spaces are smaller, and because people are interacting more, it seems like the retention rate's a little bit better on the smaller homes, ironically. So a little more familial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you have 19 houses. Each of those houses has a house manager? Each of them have a house manager. So we have 16 houses, houses, and then we have three apartments. Okay. And the apartments are a little bit smaller, um, a little bit less accountability, and they're more for people that have been with our program a little bit longer. They have one person that is in charge of the apartments uh, for four residents. So one for every four residents, but it's a little bit more liberal, a little bit more... Uh, freedom and you're not living with eight other people nine other people you're living with three other people so so okay so 16 then house 16 managers. house managers and then 16 assistants um, all brought in from within I am a big believer of promoting our people from within the organization every one of our employees with the exception of two or three um, that we have had to bring in uh, one is Nancy, uh, who is our housing director. Um, we wanted to start a women's program, so we had to bring in a female. Uh, we didn't have any females in the program, so we had to bring from outside. Um, our admin assistant is um, uh, a normie, and we have one person in recovery. However, she had not gone through our program. She works part-time, and she does our housing inspections and house management sort of thing where she goes around and checks the houses. But other than that, the other, we're talking about probably 30, 40 people that we have that in some capacity are working with NBS or for NBS are all from within NBS. So it sounds like you have a good program because you have people that whenever they're done, they don't want to leave. They want to come back and be part of it. Yes, so we have a lot of people that are here beyond the, so our program is a 12-month program. Um, That's what we consider to be completion. But we have a lot of people here that have gone way beyond. Uh, I've got several people here that have been with us three and four years, Uh, several managers, several um, people in the program that have been with us uh, way beyond the 12 months. So yes, a lot of people continue to stay with us and they are welcome to stay as long as they want, as long as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of not drinking, not using, um, and and following the rules. So why do you think you have that kind of retention? I mean, I also know that you've had people that have asked. 
um, that have started other houses. Hey, is it okay if I talk to this person about becoming a house manager? Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, even other people are looking at the people that are coming up through your program and going, man, that's the kind of person that that I want to help me run my uh, organization, that that I want to manage my house. What sets your housing apart? What do you think is kind of the secret sauce that makes it successful? I don't want to give that out over the air. But no. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, the the secret sauce, I think, really is we, we truly believe in all multiple pathways. Um, we are very much sticklers for the rules, uh, which is why Nancy is so crucial to our organization because I'm she calls me a softie, and I am. And, uh, you know, I am... The first one to bend a rule just to help somebody out, and, and um, whereas it ends up harming them in the long run. So sticking to the rules is is the biggest thing. Is we we there's very little compromise on the the rules that we put in place, and because of that, people end up respecting that. And the ones that get it, uh, it's a it's been a joke. You know, a lot of people say that uh, uh, the program is all about the money. Um, and uh, the people that get it, they get it. And because they get it, they don't look at it as it's all about the money. It's all about the responsibility. The reality is, it's the same thing. It's just which side of the coin you're looking at. It's the same coin. You know, right. one person says it's all about the money because that's their excuse for not being able to be held accountable and stick with it. The other person says, hey, this program is all about responsibility because I signed up for all of this. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And now, for me, it was about the accountability and the responsibility. And those are the ones that are successful. So, I mean, you, I'm sure you have a certain price point. How did you come about setting that price point? <laughs> so, when we first started, um, we had an entry fee, I think it was like $500.00 and $75 a week or $85 a week, something like that. The weekly fee was easy. Um, we wanted to be less than the Fairview. What's uh, Fairview? The Fairview for is people a, who don't for know. people that don't know, is a hotel here in town that a lot of uh, people that are, are in their midst of their addiction end up going to. They have a weekly f- uh, fee where you can stay there for the week for $160 or something like that. Um, and uh, you can stay there f- for the week, and uh, it's week by week. So we wanted to be less expensive than that. We wanted to be uh, a place where people could get their recovery and still p- be able to put money away. The entry fee uh, is what we ended up having to play with uh, quite a bit. So we started off really high, and we weren't getting a whole lot of clients. And uh, about two years into it, um, we said, you know, well, if we are a little bit more competitive with our entry fees and break down that barrier, um, then we can we can get more clients. So we started lowering it, lowering it, lowering it, and we got to a point where there were even times where we were taking clients with no entry fee. And what we found is that there has to be some sort of skin in the game. It's not, I mean, the entry fee helps cover some of our expenses. For example, when clients leave because of addiction, um, they seem to end up taking everything. Uh, Pillows, blankets, everything goes, uh, you know, they take, throw it all on the bed, 
pack up the sheet and gone. Uh, in the meantime, we have to replace pillows, blankets, right. towels. Uh, you know, we pay for the electricity. We pay for everything that um, they kind of left us high and dry with. So the entry fee for us is, ends up covering some of that. Um, you know, the paperwork, for example, just an entry packet costs a dollar fifty to make. So there's tons of tiny little costs that end up adding up that a lot of people don't even think about, but there, there is a cost to it. Um, so what we ended up doing is we charge a $200 admin fee and $110 for the people, for a client's first week. So it's $310 to get in. That has seemed to be enough of, it's low enough that it's not a barrier for most people, but it's high enough that it gives them some sort of, okay, I'm invested in this. I have something to lose if I don't go through with it. And if it's not me that has something to lose, it's somebody that I love or loves me that is going to lose something if I don't follow through with it. Is it foolproof? No. Um, you know, but it seems to work. That's kind of worth the, the, the dollar amounts that seems to work for us. I know that we could open up the floodgates. We could remove the entry fee and we could probably double our housing capacity. The problem is I don't know that we would be effective and operational um, because in the end it is a business and we have to, we have expenses and we have to cover those. And I think that if we open up the floodgates and people come in and they don't have anything invested for themselves, I am concerned that the retention rate would be low and people would just use that as a get out of jail free uh, because you do have to have a home plan in most cases right. from the Department of Corrections, and people would just use that as a, a get out of jail free, rack up a bill, and then take off. Yeah, because I—that's one comment I hear from people all the time mm-hmm. when it comes to housing. Like, well, they're just about the money, mm-hmm. and uh, I always tell them the same thing. I'm like, well, if you have a better model, then open it up. Right. You know, it's it's easy to sit on the sidelines. Yes. And say, mm-hmm. look at housing or look at treatment, and don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely uh, some really bad players out there sure. where you can stand on the sidelines and go, oh my gosh, that, that place is not good, and I would right. never recommend anybody there. But, you know, I, I once heard a, a critic described as somebody who walks out on the battlefield after the war's been fought and shoots survivors. You know, um, there's a lot of expense. I think one of the things you talked about, how long was it before you said you worked how long before you ever... Oh, it was... So we started in 2013... It was at least three years before I was able to take an income. Um, we were actually at the point my wife and I were getting ready to split up because it was taking such a financial toll on, on us. Uh, she, My wife's a psychologist. She was making good money and was supporting the family and was tired uh, because all of the responsibility was on her for, for three years uh, since I started this. And um, finally, about three and a half years or so, we were starting to be able to take an income, and then it started to go a little bit better and easier. Um, but it took a good long time. And, you know, that's pretty standard in business. Uh, the IRS lets you take uh, you know, the unspoken rule about three years of losses uh, because they understand that starting a business is tough. You know, like I said, we touched on this a, a few minutes ago, but when people, when I hear it's all about the money, honestly, you instantly know, I instantly know, that person doesn't get it. They just are not ready for recovery. They don't understand. They And I hear it from parents, and you understand where some of the kids get it from. They just don't understand that 
recovery is about responsibility and it's about accountability and it's about doing what you said you were going to do day in and day out and a lot of people have never lived like that and it's a shock to them it's a shock to say hey yeah i'm okay with paying 110 dollars a week um because right now i'm in a jail cell and i don't have any other choice but then when you get out and you realize that hey life is tough it's $110 a week for housing, but then I really want a new iPhone. And you know, today I've had a really struggle to keep my eyes open. I really want to buy a Red Bull or a Monster. Or, hey, you know, steak really sounds good for dinner tonight. But you forget about the commitment of, oh, I agreed to pay this for housing. And I agreed to pay this for food and this for water. You know, your three basic needs and your wants start to kick in. And your responsibilities for child support and other things. And it is hard. So it's easy when you're in jail and you don't see any responsibilities and you don't have any pressure and there's no stress. And, oh, yeah, $110 a week is no problem. But then when you get out and you realize, hey, I want a phone and, hey, I want to do this and I want to be able to do that. And then all of a sudden... Man, that housing, that $110, I, that, you know, if I didn't have to pay that, I'd be all right. And, you know, if they just weren't all about the money. <laughs> so it's easy to sit back and do the math. Oh, of course. Right? And oh. I'm sure that's what everybody does. They're everybody like, okay, does the math. You've got eight people in a house. Right. At one ten a week. Mm-hmm. That's eight eighty a week. So, thirty, what, $3,520 yeah, well, a month. Yeah, I, even better. We've got 164 beds. And of those 164 beds, we've got about, uh, what did we say, thirty. 30 man 20 say 30 managers and assistant managers so if you you know some of them pay a small portion of the fees even if you figure we have 20 uh so 144 people times 110 dollars and they can't understand why they can't get their housing for free um so yeah it's fourteen thousand dollars a week you know that, that we're we're generating um but those 19 homes have rents and mortgages and those 19 homes have electricity bills. And those 19 homes have internet and trash service and uh, sheets and toilet paper and air conditioning and stuff paperwork works. and people to manage those houses. And the stuff works and the water's not getting shut off and the electricity is staying on. And, you know, our just to give you an idea, we spend uh, almost $30,000 a month on rent and mortgages then we spend another uh, $8,500 a month on electricity then we have employee costs uh, uh, the cost of supplies you know we spend several thousand dollars a month just putting toilet paper and cleaning products into the houses uh, and a lot of people don't consider any of that uh, little expenses like paperwork, uh, office space, filing cabinets, um, vehicles. We've got a couple of NBS vehicles. We've got a couple of, you know, we support multiple pathways to recovery. One of the pathways to recovery is uh, animal support. We've got uh, three dogs in the program. Those dogs need dog food. They need right. vet care. They need, I mean, there are all kinds of things and, and expenses that we have that most people don't even know. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, so our goal at the end of the year is we made zero dollars. That's how a nonprofit works. So our expenses, I show people our electric bills, and they're like, oh my gosh, 
you know, what we pay for um, water, uh, most people don't even can't even consider in a, a several thousand dollar home uh, for for a mortgage. So there's expenses with it. We run it like a business. We do. Um, because it is a business. All housing is a business. Even if it's church run, it's a business. That's somewhere, somehow, somebody is paying for it. Right. So it's not just as easy as saying, oh, look, I have a house now. I can start renting it out. No. <laughs> you know. No. No. Because what will end up happening is you have a house now. Now you have nine or ten people. You have to have liability insurance that's specific to recovery housing. That's not cheap. Then you have to have a program in place. Then you have to have them sign forms. Then you have to have somebody that makes sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because if you don't do all of those things and you just open up housing, you're going to end up with dope houses. So how many uh, times uh, have you gotten 2 a.m. calls? Oh, my gosh. Um, more so in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, that's because now your managers get now 2 a.m. calls. Yeah, now my managers get two a.m. calls, and uh, yes, but uh, there were several. Uh, there were probably a handful of two a.m. calls, three a.m. calls, where we had to get up and go. Uh, most of them were ten and eleven o'clock calls around curfew, where you end up having to go and deal with the police and kicking people out or um, just dealing with situations. Um, Several close calls on overdoses, people shooting up in the homes. Um, yeah, you guys have actually Narcan people in, in the yes, house. Yes, We were one of the first ones to have Narcan in the homes, thanks to, uh, thanks to you. And, uh, yeah, we actually were able to Narcan a couple of people and save them. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I know they had some problems in California where they actually ended up going in and tra training all of the houses because they had several people that passed away. Yeah including, I think, one of Ryan Hampton's really good friends, and I think he kind of led the charge on that to get that in there. I'm glad that we have that here. Yes. Yeah, opening up the houses is easy. Dealing with all the things that come along with it is the hard part, and years and years and years and gray hair and lost hair, and uh, like I said, it nearly cost me my marriage, and uh, uh, fortunately now everything's great, and, and we, we've learned, and we have processes in place, and training and and uh manuals and how to do things and rules and everything takes time to get it all into place and um yeah it it, it seems easy from the outside somebody just does the math and says yeah i can open up a house and i can open up two houses and i can open up three houses but then you deal with the issues that come up with those houses and that's the hard part is actually running them and keeping them um running them well so at the end of the day if I'm looking for a house, the first thing I want to do is look for NAR certification. It's That's not saying I, it's an amazing house. Yes. It's just saying it at least meets At least meets all standards. of the criteria and the standards and that other people in the state recognize it as a place where um, good practices are being, you know, best practices are being used. Um, we also, I think it was 2018, won the... Um, Recovery Support Services uh, Award, uh, Department of Mental Health Award for the year. Uh, for the being, best program? For the best program in, in the state. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations yeah, on you. that. You know, it once again shows that you're running a positive program and people mm -hmm. acknowledge that. We have referrals from all across the state. People are sending clients from all across the state. Uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, uh, the Boot Hill. I mean, we have referrals from everywhere. Um, 
you definitely want to check around and you want to do your homework on the places you want to talk to probation and parole you want to talk to treatment you want to talk to the community about that program and what their perception and how they feel about that program is and if they support that program then you know and it may still not be the right person the program for that individual hopefully that program turns the dial for them a little bit and gets them closer um, but you definitely want to check in the community and, and see what the word is on them. Okay. Well, thank you for your time, Alan. And I always say this to people when I have them on. Is there anything that you would like to end, leave the people listening with? It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you're doing something that you enjoy, everything is going to take and require work. It's not as easy as it looks. Uh, you know, you and I joke about, we come up with a couple of dozen million dollars idea million dollar ideas every every month the problem is executing them doing them and doing them well and that's what i want to put out there i would love to help anybody that wants to run housing and wants to run it well i am happy to help them out and get them on the right track and please feel free to reach out well thanks again alan and thanks a lot everybody for listening we will talk to y'all again next week In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. There's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture.